Yes, hello, folks. Welcome to the Global Football Show. I'm your host, as always, Phil Brown. Back for another episode. Join me with my regular co-host here, the fantastic Zach Louie. You can find, get, find Zach on Twitter at Zach Louie or, of course, at his magnificent website, BTL. Breaking the line, some fantastic commentary and punditry on there and analysis on there. Uh, lots to talk about, Zach. want to talk to you a little bit about Juventus. What is going on at Juventus, my friend? Arsenal. I'm not sure with Arsenal, do we take them seriously or do we not? I want to talk to you a little bit about Kylian Mbappe and what has taken place there. Um, crazy turn of events for the last week. But then I want to get into a topic that maybe it's me showing my age and I'm getting a bit grumpy. <laughs> but the bonderfication of punditry, where essentially we've turned punditry into a, uh, attempted stand-up comedians who are vociferous fans of the particular club. And by the way, a few things are cringier than people trying to be funny who aren't funny. As much as I like Michael Richards, if I hear him burst out laughing halfway through another incoherent sentence, I'm honestly going to put my boot to the TV. Uh, same with Gary Neville, same with Jimmy Redknapp, Tim Howard, all of them. I, anyway, I'll have my grant later on. First of all, my friend, how you doing? Doing very well, Phil. Uh, good to be back. And yeah, really excited to co-host another episode of the Global Football Show today. I am delighted to have you back, my friend. Uh, let me talk about my yeah, uh, my friends in Turin. Uh, the old lady, Vecchia Signora. Unbelievable result in midweek. Uh, to now, of course, to Maccabi Haifa. Um, Max Allegri, interesting because I used to do a podcast with um, a guy called Anto, uh, a couple of Bianco, who's Italian guy. And when he was a massive Milan fan, and he hated Allegri at Milan, uh, he called him Boring, Count Max, everything. They had all these pejorative nicknames for him. But he'd done quite well at Juventus, comes back, of course, after Piero gets sacked. Juventus are a mess. They're in eighth. Uh, three wins all season. Um, what is going on with Juventus? Yeah, I mean, it will take perhaps uh, a few days to discuss what has gone wrong specifically with Juventus. But I think what it comes down to with regards to Juventus is essentially this is what happens when you give up uh, long-term goals, you know, trying to uh, build carefully and and trying to uh, develop a plan and and giving that all all that up in the pursuit of short term glory. Um, so look, Juventus, you know, they came out of their Calcio Poli scandal um, and I think used that in in many ways to their advantage. They focused on you know finding ways to improve, you know, finding how to really to get uh, to to outsmart their rivals. And I think they did that so many ways with regards to marketing in terms of their stadium, making it uh, so that they could have all the revenue from their stadium receipts, mm -hmm. unlike a lot of other clubs. Um, and all above all, just, you know, spending uh, shrewdly, uh, getting a building up a midfield that was, you know, arguably the best midfielder in the world at the time with Claudio Marquisio, Paul Pogba, Arturo Vidal, Andrea Pirlo, uh, some good players in attack as well. And frankly, just having a dominance in Syria that really has never been seen before. Um, but obviously, it wasn't enough for them. They wanted to get to the Champions League, uh, to win the Champions League. If you haven't yet, definitely check out um, our recent article and thread on, uh, on breaking the lines about Juventus. Uh, and yeah, they, they, the article essentially talks about, you know, the history of Juventus in the Champions League. They are, they have won, they have lost, uh, seven Champions League finals. That's more than any other club. They have lost five consecutive, uh, Champions League finals that is tied with Benfica. Um, and yes, of, of course they, it's been 25 years since they have won, uh, Champions League, and obviously that that is something that is uh, for for a club like Juventus that are one of the biggest clubs in Europe. You know they're going to try to do everything they can, uh, of course, to 
to to you know rectify that. So I, I think that we are seeing in many ways we we are seeing uh, that and Juventus it, it seems like they kind of tried to shift their strategy and I I think it really began with signing Cristiano Ronaldo and mm-hmm. signing uh, Matthias Delict the following years. Just obviously when you commit that many resources to you know those two players specifically Ronaldo, uh, looking at how much they gave up in terms of wages. Uh, and also, you know, it, it's partially those two players, but it's also, I think, uh, a pattern of giving uh, competitive wages and signing a lot of these uh, veteran players on free transfers, um, such as uh, such as Aaron Ramsey. Aaron Ramsey, I think, is a, a very good example because they signed him on a free transfer, gave him a massive wage, and they ended up having to essentially pay him to 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 leave and and go to uh, go to Nice. And yeah, I mean, we've seen in so many examples with Juventus over the years that free isn't always free. It can end up costing you dearly. Um, and so, yeah, I do. But I do think that by prioritizing that mu- on, on those two players, Ronaldo and Delict, uh, you know, there's that saying what goes up must come down that there's always going to have there's always going to be that uh, side effect. Um, and what, what we saw with the side effect is Juventus essentially not having uh, not having enough money to, for example, to buy world class midfielders to focus on other areas um, of their uh, of their team and, you know, give them a desperately needed rebuild. So it's clear that Juventus, they needed to rebuild and, you know, uh, you know, to replace all of these veteran players like Giorgio Chiellini. Leonardo Bonucci, so on and so forth, um, that they many ways have not been able to do because they had been fo- they hadn't been focused on rebuilding. They had been focused on you know making that one last push, uh, trying to get a trying to get that you know much elusive Champions League. Um, and ironically, I mean, if they had stayed the course, they may very well have gotten there. But by committing so much uh, funds to yeah to these kind of i would call it a short term approach in terms of getting these veterans on on high wages whether that's uh, Sami Khedira uh, Aaron Ramsey uh, you know so many of these players that frankly just did not work out Blaise Matuidi uh, Sami Khedira so many examples i think yeah it has definitely come back uh, to bite them the the uh, the chickens have come home to roost shall we say so you just have to look at their uh, recent Champions League history uh, to 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 get an idea of that. You know, 2015, they get to the Champions League final. They lose to Luis Enrique's Barcelona, right? We're in the running for uh, a treble up until the final day of the season. Uh, you know, fr- from that point, they end up losing. Uh, they end up losing Pirlo and Vidal, if memory serves correctly. They lost Pogba a year later. So, of course, that is definitely one of the biggest reasons failing to uh replenish the midfield and from you know from arguably the best midfield in europe to what it is now i mean it's it's just shocking when you look at the names look at how much uh that sector of the pitch has declined yeah i definitely think that that has been a massive factor behind juventus's decline um and as well as the fact that look the fact is these players did not work out. The two big names, uh, Ronaldo, Ronaldo and Delict, obviously, they did not work out. Uh, Ronaldo was brought in to give them that extra push. And I think that, you know, there was definitely reason to believe he could be that one to provide them uh, that extra push in the Champions League, right? 2015, they lose in the Champions League final to Barcelona. 2016, they lose to Pep's Bayern uh, in the round of 16. Uh, 2018, of course, came very close, but lose to Real Madrid uh, in the quarterfinals via that hat trick from Ronaldo. So they brought Ronaldo in, and I mean, go from there. They they end up losing to Ajax in the round of 16. Uh, following year, lose to Lyon in the round of 16. Uh, following year, lose to Porto. Um, <clears throat> I may have gotten those, and I think the, the, the year after they lost to Villarreal, if memory serves. Uh, so, frankly, Juventus, they should be beating all of those teams. And they brought in those players to, to, to give them that extra push. So I think it's definitely clear 
that those uh, those big money risks, yeah, they definitely did not pay off. They ended up hurting Juventus's ability to have a much needed rebuild. And yeah, we are seeing those effects um, with with Juventus currently sitting, I believe, seventh in Serie A, and uh, and looks like very very likely that they will not qualify uh, to the Champions League knockout round for the first time uh, since 2013-14. When I look at their business, you know, over the summer, it's essentially a football club balance in the books. And some of their signings, I don't understand. Angel Di Maria being one of them. Um, You know, I'm looking at Paul Pogba as a Manchester United fan. I'm well aware of the issues that... um, come with Paul Pogba and every issue Juventus have had with him surprises me none. They're exactly what you should expect with Paul Pogba. Um, And then look at some of their other signings, you know, Paredes, obviously PSG wanted him out, decent decent player. Um, Milik, you know, players like that, Kostic, Bremer, good player. Um, And then of course you look at who they sold, Delict, you know, players like that. And uh, I'm trying to get people like Arthur Mello off the books. Um, Zakaria, and so it looked like it looks like a football club that's trying to hold ground rather than trying to go anywhere. And it, the question then becomes: Does Agnelli take responsibility here for Juventus's current plight and perhaps refuse to admit he made a mistake with supporting Allegri, or is it a point where it's really not Allegri's fault, no matter who was in charge? Juventus would be going through the same thing. Look, I think that Max Allegri has to be held accountable for a lot of what's going wrong with Juventus. Um, yes, this squad is is mediocre in a lot of areas, but they should be playing much better football than they're currently playing. And I think that at the end of the day, the buck stops with Allegri. Um, but the fact is, uh, you know, we, we get back to the central problem. Juventus do not really do not have the finances to be paying off Allegri uh, at, at this point. And so from what I've heard uh, from from various Juventus sources that they're going to stick with Allegri um, until at least after the World Cup, see if things turn around. But of course, you know, sticking with Allegri uh, may very well cost them Champions League receipts. And that is a massive factor for them. But I, I think that you, you have to pin some of the blame on Allegri. But you also have to recognize that over the past few years, and let's not forget, Allegri did lead them to two uh, Champions League finals and to uh, a large part of that Serie A domestic hegemony. Um, and yes, yeah, over the past few years, we've seen Allegri, Maurizio Sarri, Andrea Pirlo, now Allegri, all very different coaches, all having the same issues. And, you know, I, I remember... That quote from the leaked quote, I think, from Saudi back in 2019 or so, saying that this squad is essentially untrainable. Um, and yeah, you can definitely see, I think, some similarities between Juventus and some other clubs such as Paris Saint-Germain in that there, there's definitely some issues with the, uh, the makeup of the squad. I think that, you know, I, I look at Juventus right now and yeah, I do not see that much in the way of quality. But I also don't see that much uh, reason for optimism. You know, I, I think that, I, you know, looking at their business, I don't think that much has changed, over, you know, in terms of the summer business. Obviously, yes, they're trying to break even. They're trying to um, get rid of a lot of these underperforming players, uh, as we saw with uh, Aaron Ramsey going to Nice, uh, Arthur Melo going to Liverpool, um, you know, I, you know, a lot of these underperforming players being shipped out and yet still so many remain because the fact is, uh, it is very hard to get rid of all that deadwood. So many clubs, you know, we, we've seen that with Barcelona, Manchester United, so many different clubs having issues, uh, with shipping out deadwood. So, yeah, I mean, I look at their business, they got an Angel Di Maria and Paul Pogba on free transfers and, uh, I think they 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 definitely it definitely seems like it's a continuation of that same pattern that has sort of landed them uh, in this crisis. Uh, now I think that 
I think that both, in theory, could be good signings for them. Paul Pogba, I still think, despite his issues, in despite his decline in form, uh, he is still an upgrade on, uh, on on Juventus's dire midfield options. But, you know, look at his decline in stock. Look at his injuries. Uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if that's the kind of player that Juventus should be targeting. I thought it was kind of predictable because obviously free transfer, Pogba did not have that many options coming out of United. Um, so it, it made sense on the face of it. But I, I think, you know, similarly to Di Maria, Di Maria almost kind of like a lazy signing. Um, I do like the, I, I like the signing of Gleison Bremer. I think that, look, they it's clear that they needed to, uh, you know, move on from De Ligt. I think he wanted to move on, go to more of a possession-oriented side. Um, and, and you know, he, he needed to leave uh, Juventus for that. Um, and I think that, you know, Bremer fa- had a fantastic season, um, had a fantastic season at Torino. But I, I and I, I think that he will be a eventually be a good signing for Juventus. We probably haven't seen the best of him yet, but uh, overall, I think it's a very intriguing signing. Another issue, though, is that uh, should should be should should definitely be remembered that uh, Juventus let go of not just Delict but Giorgio Chiellini, who has been you know a massive mm-hmm. pillar in that dressing room, <clears throat> a massive leader in defense, uh, and they only brought in. Uh, they, they only brought in Bremer. They, they also brought in uh, Federico Gatti, uh, who was on loan from a Serie B side, Frosinone. But uh, I think that, you know, you, you lose two very important players in central defense and you only bring in one. Uh, yeah, that, that shows you, I think, where Juventus are at, perhaps financially. Because, you know, you're expecting someone like Daniel, Daniele Rugani or... Federico Gatti to make a massive step up. And you're also expecting, uh, essentially, you know, lying to yourself and stating that, yes, Bonucci is still that world-class player that, that, that lit up Serie A in Europe uh, over so many years, which, frankly, he isn't anymore. He should have been moved on. Uh, and, yeah, Juventus, they are paying the price from not moving him on and for not uh, enacting a rebuild. And I think that, that that's something that, I, I had expected Juve to do well because, in general, they had they had done a good job with a lot of those signings. But I look at it, the squad now, and yeah, I'm just very uninspired. Leandro Paredes, you know, okay, decent player, but is what 29 already and has has never really lit it up at a uh, at Paris Saint Germain or Roma and. Um, I think, you know, look at the other ones, Di Maria, I think kind of similar, uh, definitely kind of somewhat, somewhat of a lazy signing, as well as the fact that, you know, Juventus, they have, they actually have a lot of promising young talents like Mattia Sule, Fabio Miretti, who, you know, have the quality to maybe not be starting, but at least be playing an important role in the first team. And the fact is they're not getting uh, the requisite minutes. And that is under Allegri. So I definitely think that's that's a reason uh, to potentially sack him. The fact that Juventus have actually worked in many degrees to 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 get a good uh, stock of these youngsters, and yet, yeah, have have really turned their attention to these um, these veteran players. And as such, you know that that this strategy that we've seen, you know, a lot of these free transfers. It means that okay, you, you don't have to pay that much in the transfer fees, but the you know that those wages uh, are still going to become a very big issue down the line when you're trying to offload players because um, you're either going to have to find a buyer or you're going to have to find an agreement with the player, a golden handshake, what they call in Italy. Um, and I definitely think that has affected Juve's. Uh, ability to to replenish key areas of their squad. Midfield is one. Fullback is another. I mean, I look at the the fullback areas. You've got what Danilo, Juan Cuadrado, Alexandro. I mean, are these Juventus quality fullbacks? I I disagree. Um, so it, the the issue with Juve is 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 multifold. I do think that Max Allegri he isn't the biggest issue with the club, but he is, definitely is an issue right now. 
Uh, and I do think that it is a matter of time before they move on for him, move on from him. Let me shift our focus to Kylian Mbappe. It seems that uh, transfer windows become shorter and shorter because it seems like <laughs> we are mid-October. We're talking about a potential transfer already. Uh, the January saga has already started. We are, what, two months removed from Kylian Mbappe um, agreeing to stay at PSG, turning down Real Madrid in this huge fanfare, and now all of a sudden promises have not been kept. I'm trying to understand what promises they would have made to him in that time and how quickly they would have had to deliver on them and what possibly couldn't have been kept between, I would assume this is a diesel football issues, yes. um, between um, obviously the end of the window and today. He, of course, wants to play with the conventional number nine, wanted Neymar out of the football club, all their issues. What's really going on here? Yeah, it is very hard to say. But look, the information that we have is that and it's, it's come from multiple sources, not just in France, but in, in you know, international. Um, what, what I have heard is that obviously Kylian Mbappe agreed a uh, a transfer a, a a contract renewal um, when he was you know at risk of becoming a free agent renewed his contract with Paris Saint Germain became I think one of the highest paid players in uh, football history and uh, it seems that these are reports from from multiple outlets that Mbappe actually requested to leave um, Paris Saint Germain because uh, of in. And this was in August, okay? So not just right now, but but coming in August um, because of frustrations about the uh, the club's window. And yeah, I mean, I think similarly to the Ronaldo case, it's like, okay, you're frustrated that the club, and this is what's being reported, the club uh, failed to sign a number nine in, in Robert Lewandowski. That's apparently who he wanted Milan Skriniar, uh, ESG heavily linked to center to him, didn't happen. Could could still happen. His his contract expires in uh, 2023, I believe. And uh, and I believe there is another player. Let's see, Lewandowski, uh, Skriniar, and another bigger uh, Bernardo Silva. That was the other player who was mentioned. Okay, so very, three very tough players to sign. Okay, you're competing with you know. Ber- Bernardo, a player who is who is, you know, owned by an, another oil giant club that is is not going to give him up uh, without a fight. Uh, Skriniar, I think. Okay, yes, Inter. They don't have that much uh, financial weight in comparison to the other clubs, but they still aren't any pushovers, and they're going to want to keep their best defender uh, for for as long as they can. So, and and Lewandowski. They PSG. It seems like they were never really interested in them. But another another reason why is that um, uh, with this whole shall we say divorce between the parties and the reason why everybody's saying that Mbappe is pushing for a January move. It's it seems one of the biggest issues has been uh, his relationship with Neymar. You know we we've talked about this before on the podcast. Um, you know the the tension over who gets to take the penalties. In Paris Saint Germain, it does seem like Mbappe. <laughs> so juvenile, honestly. It does see yes, it is juvenile. It does seem like Mbappe uh, heavily leaned on the club to to try to sell him in in the summer. But I mean, the fact is, Paris Saint Germain <clears throat> just renewed his contract a few, you know, what one or two years ago, and uh, with a massive contract and a massive wage that. Frankly, no team is capable of touching apart from Paris Saint-Germain. So it was always going to be difficult um, for them to try to sell to sell Neymar. But I think that, yeah, Mbappe, after uh, Paris Saint-Germain drew 0-0 to Rem at the weekend, uh, he posted on his Instagram uh, hashtag pivot gang. So essentially being frustrated that he had to be had to play as a center forward. Um, and like, I'm sorry, I just find that so ridiculous. Okay. Like you have literally, uh, commanded an, a massive amount of money from the club. Okay. Like I'm, I'm no, I'm, I'm no one to defend PSG and say that they're angels, but like, 
you have literally taken up so much of the club's uh, wage bill. And okay, yes, Paris Saint-Germain, they, they may have uh, unlimited wealth, but they still have to comply with basic FFP rules. You know, they have gotten in trouble with this in the past. They can't just, you know, spend whatever, 200 million on Erling Haaland. You know, they, they, they can't just do this out of whim. Um, so if Paris Saint-Germain cannot uh, sign a number nine, which, by the way, they did, they signed a, a, a project of a number nine, shall we say, in Hugo Ekitike, a promising yeah. player uh, from Rem, who, yeah, has not set the world alight, but is still, what, 20 years, a- 20 years of age and, you know, will develop. Um, but, but I think that he, he's definitely felt uh, upset at not being able to play under a a center for a traditional center forward like Olivier Giroud or Karim Benzema as he plays in uh in Les Blues um and and I think that doing so allows him more freedom more space obviously he's not worked on occupying the defenders but fact is you are a professional footballer okay it's not like the coach is asking you to play left back or something okay you are playing in attack with some very gifted players and, you know, to just complain about it, act like, you know, the world is uh, ending. I mean, it, it's just ridiculous. So I can understand why Mbappe would be frustrated in certain areas. But the fact is, PSG, they have not had, I, I don't think they've had that bad of a window. Uh, they've, they've completely replenished the midfield, which has been their biggest issue for, for so long. Uh, bringing in Fabian Ruiz, Renato Sanchez. Vitinha, some very good players. Uh, they brought in Nordi Mukiele and Hugo Ekitike. Uh, they brought in Luis Campos, one of the best. Uh, one of the best. Isn't he upset though? Game. Isn't Sorry, he? Isn't Luis Campos uh, upset and threatening to leave? Well, yeah, that is what I've heard. That that both Galtier, Christophe Galtier, and Luis Campos, who were brought in, they would threaten to leave uh, if Mbappe were to leave. Um, so. You know, it remains to see what what happens with that. I've also heard that Mbappe was wanted Zinedine Zidane to come in, uh, and not Galtier, and was frustrated by that. Um, but I one story where where I can sympathize with Mbappe is that, and is is uh, a very concerning story coming out of Paris Saint Germain uh, this week, and it's that the club. Um, hired fake Twitter accounts, yeah, hired an external that. agency um, and paid, you know, fake Twitter accounts to spread propaganda against employees of the club, including Kylian Mbappe. Um, and apparently this has been going on since, I don't know, 2019, I believe the report says. So Mbappe, apparently he feels betrayed. You know, he does not like where the club is heading. But uh, once again, you know, you signed the contract uh, just a few months ago and you knew that, uh, you know, this was this was not going to be easy. Rome was not built in one day. But the fact is, Paris Saint-Germain, they still have one of the best uh, one of the best uh, squads in world football. And like, I'm sorry, but, you know, you look at the squad and with without the sale of Neymar, you know, how are you going to fit in another center forward? Uh, I, I don't, I think it's, I think it's very difficult. Um, you know, so, so the fact is Mbappe, he needs to take some accountability for the situation. He needs to stop being such a diva because he is losing a lot of fans right now. Okay. I know that this is not an easy situation for him. I definitely sympathize in a lot of a lot of things with with regards to Mbappe, um, the fact is, both two you had two countries, uh, France and Qatar, trying to convince Mbappe uh, to remain at PSG. Okay, that is unprecedented in world football. And yes, I'm sure it can take uh, a toll on someone's ego. Okay, but right now, yeah, what what we're seeing with Mbappe, it's just so. For me, it's just so disgraceful, um, and I think we're we're also seeing reports that there are factions in in PSG's dressing room. You know, essentially, there's a 
from what I've heard, an Mbappe, Ramos, Hakimi faction, and then Messi and Neymar, the others. And, you know, it, it never, it, it's, it's never a good sign when, when those, when, when we start to see factions uh, in the dressing room. I remember that story. Like, all this yeah, is sorry, entirely, all of this is entirely predictable. Yeah. Every single aspect of this. If your children behave like brats, usually the people laying down the authority and the example have a role to play in that. And so I'm looking at this going pros and cons. Okay. Yes. I'm looking at Mbappe's numbers, right? And no question in uh, Liga, they're impressive. I'm looking right. at them in the Champions League. They're impressive, but, you know, in the same realm as most other top players. So right. I'm saying, if you want to buy Mbappe, of which there's only a couple of clubs that really can, and Real Madrid's removed themselves from the equation, you're going, do I want someone in my dressing room who's going to behave like a brat, who's going to demand control of the manager, he's going to mm-hmm. demand control of the dressing room, he's going to demand that everyone plays through him, he's going to demand that all this. And this has happened before in football. I mean, Platini mm-hmm. had these roles and, you know, Cruyff had these roles and it's not the first time that football clubs completely bent to the will of a superstar. Right. But you're going, okay, so we grant them all these things that really no player should be given. Um, what do we think the reflex of that's going to be in the dressing room of other players? Right? I mean, in a football club like PSG, littered with egos, what do they think is going to happen? What do they think yeah. the response is going to be of all the players? I mean, and how does yeah. Kylian Mbappe think that other players are going to react to him when he demands everything goes through him? So I'm questioning, okay, so yeah. how many clubs could really buy Kylian Mbappe? I mean, it's hard mm-hmm. for me to even come up with one or two off the top of my head. But you're thinking Real Madrid and Manchester City. Right. So Real Madrid. with Real Madrid, though, and I was I was just on a yeah. podcast two days ago discussing this. Um, you you have to recognize the fact if there is anybody in world football who is more prideful than Kylian Mbappe, it's Florentino Perez. Mm-hmm. OK, Real Madrid, fr- frankly, Kylian Mbappe held Madrid hostage and Florentino hostage mm-hmm. for two or three years. Okay. Essentially mm-hmm. having the fan base thinking that, Oh, my savior is coming and he's going to, you know, rescue and everything's going to be okay. That's not an exaggeration. Okay. Real Madrid, they literally did not, they, they barely spent any money over the past two years because they were waiting on Mbappe. They, they wanted to commit those funds to it. And of course, having all that tension and the weeks leading up to the decision and then for Real Madrid to be humiliated. Uh, yes, I mean, I, I think that's something that that someone like Florentino Perez is not going to forget. And another thing as well is that, you know, Real Madrid, they they have a clear they clearly have a fixed uh, lineup right now with with Federico Valverde, Aurelien yeah. Schwamani, Tony Cruz, Vinicius Jr., um, in midfield Rodrigo and, 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 and yeah, you know Rodrigo so you've got some very talented young players on like Rodrigo and Vinicius yeah. how and of course one of the best players in world football and Karim Benzema how do you fit Mbappe into that team okay yes he's he's probably better than Vinicius and Rodrigo but are you going to are you are you going to be willing to swallow your pride no Real Madrid didn't even give this wanting to make concessions yeah. for a player who, frankly, is proving to be such a diva, okay? We've seen so many uh, Real Madrid teams, talented Real Madrid teams, fall apart because of this, I think, exactly of superstardom. And frankly, I mean, you know, you might disagree, but I think that I look at this Real Madrid team, and yes, it's a very good team, it's a very successful team, but it also seems like... Cut out there for me in a second. I'll get you back. Listen, way of egos. Okay, yes, you have some very good players. I don't think that there's like. You keep cutting out on me, Zach. I lost you, mate. Um, but uh, can you hear honestly, me? Honestly, yeah, I got you back. Uh, you, you cut out back a bit on me there. I got you back. Sorry, do you want to finish up your point there, mate? I th- lost you. Lost you again. Yeah, they reconnected. Yes. Sorry, can you? Can you hear me now? Okay, okay. All right. So I was just saying that I think that 
this is like the least Galactico Real Madrid side that I can remember. Okay, yes, there's some yeah. very good players in this time, but like I look at toxic dressing room influences, I don't see that much. I think there's actually a very good balance between you know these experienced leaders like Nacho Fernandez, like Karim Benzema, uh, Lucas uh, Vazquez, and some you know very good talents like Vinicius Junior, Federico Valverde, players who you know recognize that while they are at arguably the biggest club in world football, they still have a long way to go. And I don't know, I just feel like Kylian, I mean, yes, he has won a World Cup, okay? He has, uh, you know, won all of these awards and dominated Ligue 1, but the fact is he has not achieved something to be considered a legend right now, and he's acting like it. Um, I, I do think as well, though, that, that there's perhaps some some issue with, with his ego. Uh, past few seasons, we have seen uh, Mbappe dominate Ligue 1, you know, and I think that last season, frankly, despite, you know, having Neymar and Messi around, it really was uh, a one-man show at a lot of times. Mbappe really dragging uh, the team by the scruff of his neck. And, and yeah, I, I think that, that that's a big reason why Paris Saint-Germain uh, we're forced to give in to his demands and and bend over backwards for him. But uh, now we're seeing Lionel Messi and Neymar get back to their best ahead of the World Cup. And I don't know. I feel like maybe Mbappe, he thinks, you know what? I thought that Neymar was going to leave. I thought that they were going to do all this stuff for me. I thought that I was going to be the number one uh, in, in Paris. And, and, you know, maybe he does not uh, appreciate that. And I do feel like... That is perhaps one of the reasons, though, why, why uh, when it looked so so likely that he was going to leave for Madrid, perhaps one of the biggest reasons why he did not end up joining, because he thought that he could be the poster boy uh, in, in Paris more than in Real Madrid. Well, PSG have him right where they want him, because now he's under contract. Not like his previous drop where he was about to be, he had a year left in his contract. PSG were limited on what they could ask for his month for, 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 um, for him to, to sell, to sell him. Of course, then we're going to lose him on a freeze contract is up. Now that's not the case. And so it's going to be really, really interesting to see what happens on that. Um, well, quickly move the conversation on to Arsenal, uh, because I'm really reluctant to take Arsenal serious. Because to me, there's always been an inner softness about them where they can seduce you on runs of form that makes you believe they're stuff for real. And they're just as likely to go on another run of form where they lose six or seven games uh, to teams they shouldn't be losing to. But I have to say, this is probably the best Arsenal I've seen since Wenger. And I think Mikel Arteta is a really good coach. I like the team that he's put together. I think there's some very, very good, young, technical, skillful players. I'm really glad they did not get Lissandra Martinez, and I think that would have added a dimension to them that uh, maybe is one of the few dimensions they're missing, where they've got a bit of, bit of snide, a bit of toughness to them, a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, you know, dark arch guy. Which Lissandra Martinez is an exceptional player, but he's also a bit of that too. Um, are we looking at an Arsenal team we should take for for real? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. Um, and look, Arsenal, yeah, I, I definitely see why you're skeptical. I think that a lot of fans themselves are skeptical. But the fact is, we have to take this Arsenal team seriously. They just, they barely missed out on top four last season. And yes, okay, they've had some, their fair share of collapses where, you know, it looks like they they can do, they, they have it in the bag. Uh you know, we've seen that in so many times, the, the Leicester Premier League title where they ended up, you know, where they beat Leicester in the last second and end up bottling the title to them. Uh, that, that was one example, missing out on top four, um, missing out on, you know, losing the Europa League to Chelsea. There are so many examples, but I don't know. I just have a different feeling about this Arsenal team. Um, I look at the squad and I think, one, you look at the look at the summer window that they have pulled together. Okay, they've gotten uh, Oleksandr Zinchenko, a player who just gives you a, another level um, at at left back. You know, he's he just provides so many things. He's not even really a left back. You look at the positions that he takes up. He just he's he's that and so much more. 
Um, fantastic signing for them. I definitely think that the best signing so far has been Gabriel Jesus, one of the best signings in all of Europe. Uh, and I was not expecting him to be this good, but but he is just, I mean, he's just blown me away since joining from Manchester City. Uh, the, the technical ability, the athletic uh, ability to use his body and, yeah, um, to really do things that uh, a traditional center forward does that perhaps you wouldn't expect Jesus to with his build. But uh, he's just been, for me at least, the, the best center forward I've seen at Arsenal in, in quite some time. I think that he definitely offers you certain things that Lacazette and uh, Aubameyang were incapable of uh, doing uh, for, for as good as players that they may have been. Fabio Vieira, I, I've, I've mentioned him a lot. I think that he can be a fantastic signing for them. Yeah. But yeah, I think that they have, you know, I, I think that Mikel Arteta, he's definitely been a good choice as manager. He has pushed them forward. Um, and and that is, uh, you know, I, I, I think that really caught my eye in the first few weeks when he was manager, the ability to set up a reliable defensive block. I remember when Arsenal beat uh, Manchester City in the FA Cup, if I'm not mistaken, just seeing that. And I was thinking that that was like the first time I thought, you know what, maybe appointing a rookie manager like Arteta, maybe it wasn't such a bad idea because that everybody knows that a solid defense is the backbone to any successful team. And I, I do feel like that's what Arsenal have been missing. You know, so many talented, so many talented attacking players coming through, uh, in recent years, whether that's Mesut Ozil, Alexis Sanchez, but really just missing that. You know, as you mentioned, that kind of, um, uh, in Spanish, they call it mala leche. Yeah, that rigidity. Yeah, the, yeah. the steel and rigidity. Yeah, and, I nice. and I think that they have, I think they have plenty of that. Ben White, I was skeptical of this signing uh, when, when they announced it, but honestly, he's been very good in an unnatural right-back position. <laughs> Um, and has, I think, William Saliba, uh, I was surprised when they loaned him out because I always thought that he's a fantastic centre-back prospect and really showing why he is one of the best defenders in England uh, already. Gabriel Magalhães, yeah, perhaps has been the biggest weak link of this team so far, but still a very competent centre-back on his day who who offers you some of that, yeah, that steel and rigidity. And... uh, yeah, I, I think that Aaron Ramsdale too has has definitely shown some good signs in goal. You've got uh, Mikhail, you've got uh, Thomas Partey and uh, Granit Xhaka in midfield, and some very promising attackers uh, ahead of them with like Osaka, Gabriel Martinelli. I think having an unbelievable Martinelli's fantastic. So Odegaard, Odegaard's excellent for them. Um, yeah, and, and you look at also their the the profile. That's that's another thing that. I think you have to give Arteta a ton of credit for, uh, you know, look at the ages of these players. I mean, apart from Shaka and Partey, who are around, what, 29, 30, um, you know, these these players are all uh, approaching their prime. You know, they are not in their prime right now. So, you know, whether that's Smith Rowe, Martinelli, Saka, these players are all, you know, going to get better. And that's that's something that is scary. So I think I, I definitely think that we have to take this Arsenal team seriously. Um, I still think that Manchester City are going to win the Premier League. No. Erling Haaland is just too good. He's he's a cheat code. And I think yeah, definitely the the only for me at least the only chance of any team besides City winning uh, the Premier League is if Haaland picks up a long term injury, which I think is somewhat unlikely given uh, given that he's not going to be playing in the World Cup. So. Knock on wood, we'll see what happens. But um, I also think that there there is perhaps there, there is perhaps the danger of setting up uh, setting the expectations too high and saying you know if Arsenal lose to lose out on the title and, and kind of fade away uh, in the final weeks as they've done in previous years, then it's been a failure. No, I mean the fact is you look at this Premier League. I think it's becoming more competitive than ever before. You you look at uh, you know this Manchester United team under Eric Ten Hag, uh, Chelsea under Graham Potter. Uh, okay, sure, Liverpool having a bit of a down year, but uh, so many so many teams continue to improve. Um, so you know, in the words of the often prophetic uh, Arsene Wenger, yes, I mean top four 
is kind of like uh, a trophy in many regards. And I think it will be a trophy to a lot of them. So, you know, if Arsenal do seem like they're going the distance and fade away in the final weeks and lose the title, yes, I'm sure it'll be very disappointing for a lot of fans. But the fact is, um, Arsenal have not competed in the Champions League since, what, 2016, 2017, if I'm not mistaken. Um, So to get back to Europe's elite competition, that's going to be massive. That's going to be absolutely massive for attracting uh, you know, the world-class talent that they want to uh, find next summer. Okay, my mom, let me have the floor for a second <laughs> for a, a get-off-my-lawn um, moment. This started for me with Steve Nash. Okay, and I'm talking about <clears throat> what has been done to football analysis and punditry. Mm-hmm. And I never understood why Steve Nash, a basketball player, and why he was doing football punditry. You think you can do this until you do it. And then you realize when you're talking to yourself in the car, driving to work, thinking you can do all this stuff, you've got about three or four slogans and they get tired real fast. Such as Steve Nash is famous, it's a tough place to go. It's a tough place to go. I never once heard him say, that's not a tough place to go. Everywhere was a tough place to go, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, January is a terrible time to buy, you know, and um, pick your football, <clears throat> your football cliche, it was in there, right? And I'm going, it's not the snobbery in me, but this is an individual, multi, multi-millionaire, taking a job away from someone who, who would otherwise, some young talent who's desperate for an opportunity like this, who would earn it. Never mind the fact that it is a massive black eye to the game and the gimmicky aspect of it where we don't feel confident that you will just watch for the sake of watching. We feel you're com- we, we, we need someone like Steve Nash to attract you in because the game itself and actual Americans are actual punditry for Americans isn't good enough because Americans don't really understand the game. So we'll just, I think it's a massive insult to Americans to think that that is acceptable. And I would imagine when David Beckham popped up on an NFL uh, broadcast to talk about American football with the same depth that Steve Nash is talking about soccer because he's watched a few games. Um, I know Steve played a bit. Um, I just think that is so massively condescending. And especially if you're someone that knows the game, because I also have a similar issue with Tim Howard. Right? Right. I mean, to give you an example of Tim Howard's uh, punditry goes like this. <clears throat> Ball over the top, winger. Chases it down the line, crosses it in, tapped in by the striker, one zip. Yeah, I know, Tim, I just watched it. Or it's big game today for Stoke. You know, uh, Peter Crouch up front scored 14 in his last 10. In other words, someone just handed you a stat sheet. Perfect example watching West Ham at the weekend. Skimicki. Skimicki scores no uh, at Skimaka. Him. Now, people like Clint Dempsey, I think, are fantastic. I can't stand the bantification of punditry. If Michael Richards laughs hysterically at an incoherent sentence one more time, I'm going to put my boot through the TV. You know? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> kegs! Yeah! <laughs> well, what did you say, Mega? Because I, I don't know what you said. And this Gary Neville... Uh, Jimmy Carragher, ammunited fun, you're a Liverpool fan, bantification back and forth. Just tell me what happened during the game. Okay? And if you really can't remove your your your, your allegiances from your analysis, you shouldn't be doing this. I don't want to hear Gary Neville scream like he's just had a happy ending when United score. I don't want to hear Jimmy Carragher do it. I don't want to hear their bias come. I don't want to hear any of it. I'm happy to let Jimmy Carragher wants to comment on the United Games fan if he can remove himself from, and, and to be fair, he typically does. But this banterfication, the back and forth, and, you know, I, I can't stand it. And so now the vast majority of times for game buildup or analysis at halftime or full time, I, I have to now forward it through. It is unwatchable. Um, I honestly can't remember anything of note 
that was said between Jimmy Carragher, um, Michael Richards, Gary Neville, or Thierry Henry, or anything, because it's just turned into a 15-minute attempt to be funny, and none of them are actually funny. And so it's just pure cringe. So it just really annoys me, because where's the opportunity for young journalists where's the opportunity for young broadcasters where's chad ochocinco is now being brought in to do the world cup and i like chad ochocinco you know uh he follows me on twitter i follow him with social messages great guy and all that though. but he shouldn't be doing this just because you watch football and you're famous doesn't mean you should be getting to do this mm-hmm. I anyway. Phil, I think this is my cue uh, to tell you to renew your AARP membership. <laughs> you text your grandchildren good night. And, uh, Seriously, sure though, take, is it, make sure is it take a generational thing? Is it a generational Listen, thing? No, 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 no. I think I, I definitely see what you're putting down because I think that the, we are seeing something um, not just in football, but, you know, across sport where I think perhaps broadcasters just care more about who the person is than what they bring to the table in terms of analysis. I look at a lot of these, you know, and and I can see their point because I I look at some of these celebrities and a lot of them who have nothing to do with the sport that they're covering at all. um, You know, and, and, you know, you, you kind of wonder, Oh, wow, this is interesting. You know, I wonder what they have to say, but I mean, you look at, what what they are actually saying and it is just completely basic pedestrian knowledge that anybody could have said you or i could have said it um but that that is frankly the the direction that football coverage is heading towards unfortunately uh so many so many companies yeah just really focusing more on who's talking and not what they are actually saying so i think it's disgraceful and uh unfortunately you know, that's just going to be what it is. More and more companies giving the advantage to X players, even if they're in different sports um, and trying to kind of prey on that, uh, that curiosity rather than getting, you know, young, talented journalists who actually have something interesting to say. Yeah, because to me, Zach, once you turn in a position that's who's raised on debt is to, is to inform into entertainment, you might as well have belly dancers at halftime. <laughs> just stand there. I mean, well, it's the same thing because they're not telling you anything. They're not informing you about anything. You know, you're not t- being told something you don't know. You might as well have belly dancers and elephants and, you know, people flying from trapezes during halftime because it's just entertainment. Right. It's really got nothing to do with informing you about anything. And so to me, it's like, you know, it's just disappointing to me. All right, my friend. Enjoy your weekend. Um, are you up to anything nice this weekend? Um, I may be playing uh, a, a game of footy tomorrow, so uh, you, hoping man. I can score dedicated to the BTP branch. But uh, Good for you. Now, Sunday, I know there's a lot of interesting games coming up. El Clasico, uh, City, Liverpool. So going to be yeah. watching a lot of that on uh, on Sunday. <laughs> All right, my friend. I'm going to have a busy weekend myself. We will see you again next week. Take it easy, Zach. Awesome. Take care, Phil. See you, Bye. brother. Bye.